It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Just lift my voice to thank you For all you've given me And I cry, give me a heart, Lord To win the loss for thee Give me a heart for others A longing to win souls for thee Okay. 
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The gift of an anguished mind. The gift of an anguished mind. I listened for a few minutes this week to a national radio broadcaster, a Pentecostal pastor, an evangelist. He was answering questions that people had sent in to him. And this woman's question was, I'm disturbed in my mind because I'm not reading Scripture as much as I used to. And I'm not, I'm not spending the same time that I used to spend praying And I find I'm sometimes missing church when I shouldn't. And I feel guilty. What should I do? How would you answer? His answer, my sister, I used to feel that way too. You just need to know that Jesus loves you. And you just need to, throughout the day, breathe in, saying, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. His basic message was, you need to get rid of that troubled mind by just placing your confidence in Jesus and don't worry about anything else. I turned the radio off. I couldn't listen anymore. To this man's foolishness. The greatest gift outside of the Holy Spirit that the Lord God of heaven can give to a Christian is an anguished mind to break our comfort bubble. We have, you know, in America a comfort bubble, we've been raised in this comfort bubble. We're not a third world nation yet. We will be. Our comfort bubble has been pierced. It's being destroyed. I've seen in dream and vision bodies stacked up in Washington, D.C. on the streets like cordwood waiting for pickup. I know this is coming. I don't know if it'll be Elboa or some other kind of pathogen, but it is coming. Destruction has been declared over America, and our bubble will soon be gone. Our defenses have been ripped away by our disobedience to the Lord God of heaven. This nation has been blessed beyond anything any nation in the history of the world has been blessed. And it's been blessed because of the foundation upon which this nation was established. The Puritans and others who came to this nation not to get rich. They came to this nation so they would have freedom to worship Jesus Christ. Now, there were the occultists who came along. There is the dark underbelly of occultism that came into America, even amongst our top leaders. Washington, D.C. has been laid out by a man of the occult. 
The Washington Monument is a phallic symbol representing the opening to the underworld. All of this is historically true. You can go research it. It's abundantly clear. The pentagram is laid out in our city's design. The occult underbelly of America has been very clear. But for many years, the power of the gospel kept restraining the powers of darkness. And America has been a godly nation, earnest in seeking after righteousness, giving incredible amounts of money for the poor in nations all over the world, sending missionaries. But today, those same nations that we sent missionaries to are now sending missionaries to America. The Philippine people are among the greatest missionaries of the day, going as household servants into Saudi Arabia, where they are sometimes beaten and even executed. They only went for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. The Chinese are sending missionaries all over the world, including to America. America today has become the great mission field of the church outside of America. And we continue in our bubble of comfort. And we think if our bubble of comfort is disturbed, then we're not blessed by God. The greatest blessing God could give America today is to utterly destroy our bubble of comfort and to give us minds anguished for the lost and the dying. There are two places for this anguished mind. First, for those who are pagan, who even love religion, that they might come to Jesus Christ. The second place where the anguished mind is a blessing is when those who are utterly sold out to Jesus begin to get a hold of his heart and they begin to cry out in anguish for husbands and wives, for children, for mothers and fathers. They begin to lay before the Lord and weep for the salvation of their families and their neighbors and their workmates and begin to cry out that the Holy Spirit would come in power. The greatest curse we have is a comfortable mind where we come to church and get a little bit of inspiration and then head out for the week to continue pursuing the things of darkness. I want to share with you today a brief story in Scripture. All of the people concerned were very religious people. All of the people concerned thought that they were on the right track. In a small room, 120 people gathered, men and women, to worship Jesus and to pray. They gathered day after day. They didn't go to their business jobs. They trusted Jesus to provide for them. 
that gathered in that upper room and they waited for the power that was to be granted when the Holy Spirit came. They recognized that they could go out and speak to all of Jerusalem and they could not bring them to Jesus. These were the people who had watched as Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle and was rejected. The high priest had it right. He said, if we follow this Jesus, we will lose our temple and we will lose our nation. And he was in a position hired by the Roman government to serve as the high priest of the temple of God in Jerusalem. These people waited for the Holy Spirit. This last week, I've been very isolated up on a mountain. No one else around. I spent the entire week almost speaking with no one except Jesus. And I ask him for one gift. I ask him for an anguished mind that I might seek after him for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm tired of going on the radio day after day after day and having people listen and say, that's nice, and then go on about their business. Now, just an aside, I know why the Lord has put me in my house to broadcast because when Washington, D.C. is under martial law because of disease, I'll still be able to broadcast. The airwaves will be open and perhaps then people will begin to listen and seek after Jesus. I'll confess as the week progressed my mind was increasingly disturbed and troubled. And I had two dreams that I want to share with you. I was in a a room like this. A few of you were present. And this huge serpent came toward me. His head was at least two or three times the size of my head. He was long, almost the length of this room. I don't know where he came from, but as he came against me, he kept pushing me back, back, and I kept falling back. I was praying. He could not open his mouth but I knew I would die, that he would kill me. And then I woke up. I said, Lord, what is this? What power of darkness is this? I finally went to sleep again and immediately had the same dream. Again, being pushed back and pushed back. And this time I struck out at the snake with my fists and tried to punch him in the nose. 
and it had no effect. And I knew I was going to die. And then I woke up. And now I was wide awake and began to cry out to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I'm going to die. I can't fight this serpent. I commanded him in your name to leave me alone. And he kept coming. And he kept coming. How do I deal with this serpent? And the Holy Spirit answered. He said, with the sword of the Spirit. Now, what is the sword of the Spirit? We're told in Ephesians 6 that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And I began to think, a sword. I've thought of a sword as an antiquated thing. You know, why not a machine gun, Jesus? I'd take care of that snake with a machine gun. Why a sword? Did you know more men have been killed by a sword than by a rifle? Countless numbers of men have died by the sword. With the sword, one firm blow, and the head of that serpent is severed. Razor sharp, dividing bone from marrow. That's what the scriptures say the word of God will do. Will part asunder. Stay with me. I know, we all love babies. We're going to go more into the sword of the Spirit in the very near future. But the sword of the Spirit is when we take the promises of God and we stand on those promises and we will not be denied. Specific, concrete promises. And I speak clearly to you Hear me, please. Prayer is not something to be answered a month from today. The purpose of prayer is to enter the throne room of God and get an immediate answer. But because we are accustomed to waiting long stretches of time before our prayers are answered, or they're not answered at all, We have given up prayer. We will not rediscover it until our mind is sufficiently anguished that we know we have no hope anywhere except Jesus. As long as we can find another avenue of escape, we will probably take it. And so I pray for an anguished mind that I will see the reality And understand that Jesus answers prayer immediately. Even while we're praying, he sends forth the answer. But 
to receive that answer means I must meet the requirements. I must meet the conditions. And the condition for answered prayer is total and complete surrender. Total consecration. Total renouncement of all sin and all pride and all human sufficiency. When the Lord has answered my prayers, and he has many times, it has always been when I have finally gotten small enough that God could answer my prayer and I would know it was him and not someone else and not chance and not luck. That requires a reduction of our size where we know we must have the answer of God. We know if we don't have the answer of God, we will die. Now we're in a position for the Lord God to answer our prayer. Have you ever felt that if your brother or sister, your children, your husband or your wife, have you ever felt that if they did not come to Jesus, you would die? Until you feel that way, there's no chance that Jesus will answer your prayer. Because there is still self-sufficiency. You think if you can just talk to them the right way, if you can just speak to them in such a manner that they'll understand, then surely they will be brought to Jesus. No, they will not be. We are not brought to Jesus by speaking the right words. We're brought to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit being exercised on our behalf. And that only comes when we've come to an end of our self-sufficiency. Now I confess to you that as the week progressed, I increasingly was disturbed both of heart and mind to the point I could hardly stand to be with myself because I began to see clearly my unbelief. I began to see my dependence on other people and on self. And I was very upset by that. I was deeply convicted by the Spirit that he would not answer my prayer as long as there was one bit of unbelief remaining in my heart or one bit of self-sufficiency remaining in my heart. These issues have to be clarified with the Spirit before He's going to begin to function in the way He desires to function in our midst. It seems to be the joy of Jesus, and He gets no joy out of it, but it seems to be the joy of Jesus to walk us into situations where there is absolutely no human way to be delivered from them. And as we're immature Christians, he will do that in a very gentle way. And the trap will not spring with total completeness. And there will be a way out. And the deliverance comes. And then we find our way. But as we continue to grow in Jesus, the exam becomes tougher and tougher. Because all self-dependency has to be erased from our hearts. It has to go. 
You remember Gideon? The Lord said, if I save with what you have, Israel will say, we did it. And the glory would be lost for Jesus. As we mature, please don't begin to think that you're a victim. But understand that Jesus is going to walk you down roads. He is going to bring you into situations and places where there is absolutely no way out. That he might have the glory as he delivers you. But if we turn in despair in those places, we will suffer accordingly. And the length of time to have that prayer answered will be in direct proportion to the trust we have and the belief we have in Jesus versus our circumstances. You know, I'm... I've called myself the pastor of Reelsville. I want to be real. But if you identify your circumstances as being real, you will die. The one who's real is Jesus. He created the heavens and the earth. He is the real one. Money It's monopoly money. It's fiat currency. It's not worth anything except what we think it's worth. It's all in our mind. There's no intrinsic value in the dollar you have in your pocket. Jesus is real. And when we put our trust in him, And we make a covenant with him that we will serve him and we will follow him and we will obey him even if we die. Now he can begin to function in our hearts and in our lives. And the first thing he'll begin to do then is give you anguish in your heart for the lost. If you have no anguish in your heart for the lost, it's because you have been either deceived or not converted yet. Because you live in a bubble zone. I know why very few of you come to our Tuesday evening prayer time. Because you don't think anything will happen. You don't think anything will happen there. You think it'll be the same old, same old. Well, for something to happen, there's going to have to have something happen in you. There's going to have to be a change. A shift. I want to read this for you. They're all gathered in chapter 2 of Acts. 
And suddenly, and I challenge you, do a word study on suddenly. I could preach for a year on the suddenlies of Scripture. God is always sudden. He's not there one minute, and suddenly God shows up. And when God shows up, everything changes. And we base our reality before the sudden happens. I want to base my reality on after the sudden happens. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now people heard this sound. It it was not a sound that was confined to the room. Imagine for just a moment. Suddenly across Woodbridge, there's this roaring tornado. And it doesn't touch down until it comes to this church. And people see it swirling in the sky above this church. And suddenly the whirlwind changes and it's a huge blazing fire. How long do you think it would take before the police, the firemen, and countless numbers of people showed up? And as they show up, we're all outside dancing and shouting and praising Jesus and worshiping him. And over each one of our heads is a a blazing flame of fire. How long do you think it would take for that word to get around Washington, D.C.? Sudden. I mean, Jesus knows how to do his own marketing. He doesn't have any trouble getting attention. He has trouble getting a people. It's not God. It's us. If the Holy Spirit came here today, like he did at Pentecost, the whole city would be at our door. And you all would be preaching. You wouldn't be the congregation anymore. You'd be preaching. Scattered all over. You'd have a whole group of people and they'd be waiting. What happened? And you'd be telling them. And you'd be saying, repent. And the Holy Spirit would convict their hearts. And they'd begin to weep before God. Church growth is not a matter of our telling each of our little friends what we think we know. It's the power of the Holy Spirit coming and giving us utterance as he desires to give us utterance. I mean, we're not tied into some small deal here. We're tied into heaven, to the throne of God. We look at the circumstances and we say, look at this little goat herd of people. What? That's not how God looks at us. 
He looks at us as a remnant of people who are being drawn to his cross. Who are willing to be lifted up with Jesus. Who are willing to be seated at the right hand of the Father. A people who will testify that Jesus has done it. And he's worthy. Now these people, they come. They want to know what happened. And so Peter stands up and he begins to preach. Men of Israel, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Why does he have to say this? Because they're all making noise. They're excited. And he's saying, wait a minute, listen. I'll tell you about this. Jesus of Nazareth. A man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you and through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, please hear me. The Holy Spirit is not going to come into our hearts until we're able to recognize that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was my laziness. It was my lack of concern. It was me. I did it. Until that dawns in our hearts, there's no hope that we'll have an anguished mind. And without an anguished mind, we'll stay in our little bubble of comfort. And we'll be upset because we forgot to pick up milk. Or we'll be upset because somebody says something at work that disturbed us. Or we'll be upset because whatever. But we won't understand. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. He continues his sermon. It's a very short sermon. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witness of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. In other words, this is from Jesus. The one you crucified, this is from Jesus. Verse 36, therefore... Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, how is a person going to be cut to the heart? They cannot be cut to the heart. We cannot be cut to the heart until we see reality for what it is. Until we see Jesus. Until we see that our sin put him on the cross. 
Until we recognize that we can't play games with God anymore. That everything of darkness must go to that cross. We know intellectually the gospel of Jesus. You've been taught it. Have you ever played around with electricity? Most of us have at some point. And of course, I was too lazy to go downstairs and turn the box off. I, I said, I'll change out that switch. And you know what? I've done it. But one time, I was changing out this switch. I was putting in a rheostat. That was a little bit more complicated. And my knuckle hit that hotline. I thought I was going to die. That juice flowed through me. Bam! I jumped back. I went down and turned the electric off. Now, you can know all about Jesus. But until you have that electric connection, you won't know the power. We're with a person more powerful than that electric charge and more dangerous than that electric charge. And we've got to be connected to that person. Or the words we speak will fall to the ground powerless. We will be prayerless. A dear brother texted me at the beginning of the week and he said, Pastor, this is what Jesus has done. I'd done some marriage counseling with his daughter, premarital counseling. And he just had come back from the wedding and was telling me all about it and how his daughter had been turned around by the counseling and had taken a very firm stand for Jesus. And the outcome of that And so I text him back, and I said, would you make an agreement with me? I'm going to be all week up on the mountain with the Lord. Would you agree with me to pray three times a day, morning, noon, and night, and ask for the Holy Spirit's power to come at the National Prayer Chapel? He lives in Connecticut. He goes every Tuesday to pray at Times Square. And I have a covenant to pray with him at the time he goes at 10 a.m. I pray every Tuesday morning for him as he goes to Times Square to pray for New York City. So I said, will you pray for one week at morning, noon, and night for the Holy Spirit to come to the National Prayer Chapel? He said, yes, I will. I text 
a mass text to over 150 people that I have known through the years. And I ask them, would you pray morning, noon, and night for one week for the Holy Spirit to come to America? Not one of them said yes. They said, thank you for what you're doing, Ray. Thank you for your prayers, Ray. Not one said, I will join you. So I'm coming to you today, and I'm asking for a covenant from my family that for the next week, you will pray morning, noon, and night for the Holy Spirit to come to the National Prayer Chapel. That he would come and give us an anguished mind, cut to the heart. Either because we need to be converted, or because we are converted and now we must pray for the lost. I won't judge which side you're on. You know whether you have totally given your heart to Jesus Christ. You know whether you're still walking in known rebellion and against Jesus. If you are, pray for the Holy Spirit to come and convert you. Morning, noon, and night. For one week. That the culmination would be next Sunday. I'm standing by faith that we will see something happen this week by next Sunday. Or would you pray if you are walking clean with Jesus, will you pray for one specific person for their salvation and that they would be here next week? See, I'm not willing to pray polite little prayers. I think they must bore God as much as they bore me. I want real prayers about real issues. Until the Holy Spirit comes, we're powerless. I can tell you, Many people listen to this radio every day, and thousands every month listen to the downloaded broadcasts. But we are not seeing the mountain move. And I am asking Jesus to move in power as I stand on Mark 11, 23 and 24, and command this mountain of unbelief to be removed. Now, some of you need personal deliverance. Some of you are in dire situations. Is your mind sufficiently anguished over that situation that you're ready to cast off every power of your own 
and believe that Jesus alone can deliver you? And will you joyfully lift up your hands to him and proclaim the deliverance before it comes? You see, the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea, and then on the other side they celebrated. They should have been celebrating before they went through, but they were of little faith. Do you believe that Jesus has the power and is willing to deliver you? We have to be cut to the heart by the truth of Jesus. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, in other words, they're now family. They've taken a huge step. They're now saying to these men, you are our brothers. What shall we do? And the answer is, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe today that you have been forgiven for your sins? If you believe that you've been forgiven for your sins, then you have the right to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is harder to grant, forgiveness for your sins or the gift of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said to them, which is harder for me to forgive this man his sins or to raise him up off the mat? But so that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins, stand up, take your mat, go home. And he stood up and went home. That's Holy Spirit power. Do you believe that your sins have been washed away? Then go the second mile and plead with Jesus to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit and to give the National Prayer Chapel the gift of the Holy Spirit. There was a time when I prayed for the Holy Spirit for Washington, D.C., but I recognized God uses men and women who are sold out. And he doesn't spread it on like peanut butter. He uses men and women who are sold out. He uses men and women who've been released from their sins, who've been made holy who have given up all pride and all arrogance and all bitterness and all anger, who are walking clean and washed in the blood. So now I pray, Lord, come come to the fellowship at the National Prayer Chapel. This week I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be praying for you the gift of an anguished mind. That you would be so cut in the heart. That you would be bold enough to stand by faith for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Mighty God. I recognize that it is not 
a music program or a children's program. It's not entertainment that draws men and women to the cross. You said that you yourself would draw all men. And Lord, you have drawn these dear ones today to come and follow you. Now, Lord, I stand by faith that you will finish this work by delivering us from every attack of the devil. And that you will deliver us by granting to us the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. You are not a respecter of persons. And Jesus, we will not be denied what you have promised. You promise both forgiveness of sin and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask that you would intentionally begin to work in the heart and life of every person in this room. Order our steps according to your loving kindness. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless.
falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.